Great. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming this morning. Uh, and thanks for waiting. It's really great to have the Rose Tinted Rags crew here. So welcome to you. It's really, really great you could come all the way from Hereford and catch the bus. First thing Monday morning, quite an achievement, I would say. <laughs> so uh, this this event is something very dear to my heart. It's, it's about the festival's community program, of which many people here are participating in all year round. And I was thinking, um, what, what is this event about and what is it for? Well, it's about showing the depth, the variety, the richness of the work that the festival does all year round. It's also a chance for all you participants to see what else is happening, because I know you're really involved in your own groups, but for you to see what the sort of festival family is doing out there and for you to feel part of that community. Um, but a few thank yous to say, first of all. First of all, thank you to Arts Council England, which supports the Poetry Festival. Um, we are one of the very lucky few rural arts organisations that gets Arts Council funding and we're very, very grateful for that and we're actually very proud of that. It is not something that's easy to get and this work is part of what adds to our portfolio of work and part of what shows that we really are community champions. Another thank you is the Garfield Western Foundation which specifically funds the community programme and as a measure of how much, how highly Garfield Weston thinks of us, uh, last year we were invited to Buckingham Palace to meet Prince Charles. Uh, we were one of the very few um, organisations that Garfield Weston supports, and they felt that we were, again, representative of everything that is really good that is happening in rural communities and with poetry. They were, they, we were, so we were selected by them to attend this reception with Prince Charles at Buckingham Palace last year. So I'm saying that not just to say how great we are, because we are, but how great you are, because you are part of that and you are what makes up the richness and the diversity and the variety of the work that we do. So we are very grateful to you, the participants, for adding what you bring to the festival. I also have to say a very special thank you to um, all the practitioners that we have because we do the legwork and get the workshops going and all the different things that we do, but we have very, very special practitioners who do, who do the work with you. Um, it, it takes a real mixture of skills, ex expertise, experience, passion, to do the work in the community um, and there are a few people, a couple of the practitioners here today, uh, Jeanette McCulloch, Carol Graham, Sarah Jane Arbery, we also have Brenda Reed brown uh, Jean Atkin, Tony Cook, uh, they're all really fantastic practitioners and the festival would not be what it is without your incredible contribution, so thank you to you. All of you. 
Um, I hope you've got a program in front of you. We're really just going to go through the program. I hope everyone here just feels relaxed. If you need to get out of your chair and walk around, please do that. We've got water at the back if anyone needs a drink. There are toilets at the back. So please just feel relaxed. We're going to follow the program. Um, and where, where we break for the different uh, workshops, I'll just say a little bit about the workshops so that you know the sort of context of where the work has come from. So without any further ado, I'm going to hand over to Jeanette, who's going to talk a little bit about the Stanley House work. So thank you, Jeanette. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm a community artist, and I recognize some of you that I actually work with and know as friends in Ledbury. Um, but I'm here representing Stanley House today. Um, I do work with Stanley House residents every week. I've been doing this for about 10 years. Um, and we do art together. Um, this is a, a book of our art and our words. But during our art sessions over the last sort of few years, we've actually started incorporating words. Um, and the words are coming from the art session itself. This first one is a poem that we made together when we were making a piece of textiles. And it's called, We Like Razamataz. Our fingers can pick gold, glittery and sparkly, and hands flourished with glue brush, swirling and swishing. Hearts and words to our daughters, and birds' wings whisper in the wind. With flowers against my heart, and hummingbirds in my chest, our friends describe her children. Your relaxed gaze is like a gazelle. Here is a girl with pink hands. This is our love and our heartfelt joy. That was an interesting one because some of the comments were about the art that we were making together and they were also about the clothing that people was, were wearing. And the clothing that people were wearing, we picked out bits that we found interesting because they were the people in our group who are unable to speak. So they were part of the poem, and their, their clothing was speaking for them. Um, some of the poems that we make are completely spontaneous, and they're as a result of the art session. Um, but this one was specifically the first of three about a momentous occasion that happened in 1969. The six, so we've called it the 16th of July, 1969. It's about the moon landing. We have a relationship with the moon. It pulls the seas across the planet. High tides, waxing, waning, and divided into quarters. Do the contours of the moon change as we stare upwards? Or do we commend its familiarity, its constant gaze? We are moonlit hunters, blinking the pull of two poets. Sitting cross-legged on a cold wooden floor, in July 1969, knowing the gravity of this moon, this landing, and it's phenomenal. This is a love poem. Um, we wrote it on this year on Valentine's Day, and we were thinking about what love was. And there was about seven or eight of us in the group, and the residents were sort of shouting out key words. They were um, making um, gestures suggesting what it was that they would like to sort of how they would reflect on love and staff and family were coming in so it's a poem made from maybe about 
10 or 11 people coming into the room as we're making our art together. And it's about love. Gracious pink, love in many hues, a reflection, a spiritual dance. It is the difference between two souls. I make you smile. I am lifted and everything is worth that. Love is worthwhile. My body beat. I create. Art is my heartbeat and my mystery with swirls and crosses and circles and diamonds. And the essence of painting is when it becomes an education about me. I feel safe. Those are the poems that I wanted to read for the residents for Stanley House. But I also wanted to say, if you have time and you're in Ledbury, you might like to go and visit the Master's House because there's an exhibition that I've put together on behalf of uh, Rose Tinted Rags, Hereford Community Farm, and many, many other groups in our community who have made the most beautiful artworks. And it was inspired by the idea of the Map of Monday, except for we called it the Map of Ledbury. So we were sort of vaguely thinking what a map might be. It's a very tactile exhibition. It's very, very sensory. So I hope you, you can go and enjoy that. Thank you. So now, Carol Graham and Rose Tinted Rags. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here this morning and to be introducing Rose Tinted Rags. It's a social enterprise um, in partnership with Echo Herefordshire. And Rose Tinted Rags, based on Union Street still, this time last year they were about to move, but uh, have, have been able to stay in the same place. Um, they provide textile and creative arts projects and also training opportunities. This is our second visit to the Poetry Festival. This year, we're a bigger group with new writers and new readers. We've been inspired by Neruda, and in the spirit of the festival, we read one of his odes in translation, Ode to My Socks, and uh, we also listened to it in Spanish. And then we set off to explore similes and adjectives. And in the poem, Robert Bly translates um, heavenly socks, outrageous socks, to celebrate a, a pair of socks that were made for him um, by, imagine, one of his friends. So we've got also some fantastic superlicious, amazing adjectives to celebrate the things that we cherish, that we've made or were made for us. Um, I'd like also to thank the funders of the community programme. For me, it is, it is my favourite work to be able to spend time exploring poetry and really celebrating it as an accessible and inclusive art. And I'd like also to thank Karen and Tina for their support, and Sarah and Jenny and the other volunteers. We all work together. We help each other, support each other, and here are rose-tinted rags today to share their beautiful poems with you. Thank you. We have a couple of participants who aren't here today, so... Um, some of the helpers and myself are going to read their poems to you. So this one is written by Michelle Roberts, and it's My Incredible Upcycled Waistcoat. I'm thinking about my amazing upcycled waistcoat, 
which I designed myself and made with lengths of fabric using a latch hook, embroidery threads and a needle. My wonderful tassely waistcoat embellished with embroidered leaves, as valuable as laughter, as priceless as dazzling diamonds. My amazing tiger cross stitch. I'm thinking about my cross stitch of many colors, which I made a year ago with my own two hands. Um, magnificent tiger. Majestic and strong, proud as a king, as fierce as can be. This is Lindsay's poem, My Magnificent Crochet Trouser Suit. I'm thinking about my crochet trouser suit, which I designed and made myself with a crochet hook and colourful wool. My magnificent colourful trouser suit, as special as a rainbow, as priceless as jewels. My awesome picture of a hyacinth. I'm thinking about my picture of a hyacinth, which I stitched by hand, with a needle and silk threads in shades of blue. An intricate picture, which I patiently made, as beautiful as a spring day, as precious as gold. This is Kirsty's poem. Are you going to read it with me? Yeah. My extraordinary knitted bag. I am thinking about my multicoloured bag. Which I knitted in the workshop and on the bus too. I made it with my own fair hands for my cousin's baby boy. A multicoloured knitted bag as colourful as a rainbow, as beautiful as velvet, as special as a dream. My magnificent latch hook rug. I am thinking about my latch hook rug, which I designed with my very own hands taught by my nan, thinking, taking time and being patient. A colorful latch hook rug, as, pre as, as precious as a rainbow and as, as precious as gold. This is Sue's poem, My Astonishing Owl. I'm thinking about my owl, which I knitted on Mondays, with needles and light blue wool, a cuddly blue owl that's as soft as velvet. <laughs> my marvellous candlestick. I am thinking about a colourful candlestick, which Luke created for me, with clay and multicoloured paint. An incredible candlestick that sits on my windowsill as colourful as a rainbow for all to admire. It's quirky and wonky and it's precious to me. That's it. Thank you. <laughs>
Thank you to Rose Tinted Rags, to Michelle, to Sarah, Kirsty, Jenny, Daniel, Karen, and Tina. And I have with me here Sarah, who um, took part in the poetry sessions at Rose Tinted Rags and also at Hereford Community Farm. I visited and I mapped out the farm, looking at all the different places and the different activities. Um, there is gardening and farm work and arts activities, as you'll see in the poem that was created for the people and using their responses to, um, to the things that they were doing on the farm. The day that I visited and I met Sarah, I have to say it was pouring down. Absolutely, <laughs> wasn't it? It was. It was. Okay, would you like to? In the animal room, we've got gerbils and guinea pigs and also rabbits and mice. There is Blackstar and Bowie, pumpkin and popcorn. There's Dougal and Dodger, Darwin and Tyler. There's Alf, at, there's Ernie, and many more besides. In the gar up in the garden, there is, oh, sometimes it is hard work. There's digging and planting, watering and weeding, and so much, so much to do when we. Tying up toms, we grew beetroot and beans, carrots and leeks, we grow potatoes and peas, and courgettes, and the likes. There's colourful flowers, and bees on the borrowed. I like feeding the animals and going for a walk. There is Spirit and Shardy and Lucy and Phantom. There are ponies and horses, like their grass and their roots. In the woodwork shed, there's spoke shaves and in shaves, razor shaves and pole lathes. There's drill bits and draw knives, a shave horse and scorps. We craft benches and tables, and we carve bowls and fine spoons. We must also mention aprons and cooking, printing and painting, felting and collaging, and marbling with inks. You find tea and there's biscuits. There's chatting and company. They're friendly and kindness. We help each other here on the farm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. It's so lovely to hear them. And you know, part of my job in arranging funding for the community programme is to convince people of the value of poetry and to convince people of the value of poetry in community settings. And I can think of no better example of what we've just heard. It's absolutely magnificent. And have you performed before? 
Have some of you performed for the first time today? Yeah. Oh, can we give an extra special round of applause? <laughs> Absolutely fantastic and really great that you've joined us today. So, um, that reminds me to just say a little bit about how we run closed sessions and open sessions. And so the poetry you've heard this morning is, are some examples of poetry from closed settings where we, we, we work in very specific settings with very experienced practitioners um, to, get to, to get the most out of the poetry uh, workshops. So uh, Rose Tinted Rags is one of those very special partnerships. Uh, Stanley House is another one of those special partnerships. We also have partnerships with SHIP the housing project in uh, Hereford Close House with the youth people out there, um, Herefordshire Young Carers, which is having a very precarious time through funding and a lot of those young people have very, very significant mental health issues just simply because of the stress of caring for relatives in their families. So we have poetry and language and drama sessions, excuse me, with them. Um, and, and there are many, many other groups that we work with, but there's just an example, and not everyone can be here today. So that brings us now to pictures and poetry. Um, we're going to start and hear now the poetry from the open sessions that we run. And open means that everybody, they're open to the public, they drop in, drop out, free to attend, I have to say. Um, and we are also very uh, grateful to our partnerships where we hold these um, workshops, so with MIND, the mental health charity MIND in Hereford, and I'll tell you more about the Butcher Row Museum here in Ledbury. But we're going to hear some poems now from Picture and po Pictures and Poetry. It's a group based uh, in Herefordshire MIND, and um, these sessions started, I think, getting on for nearly two years ago. Um, and it's a really great setting. It's using pictures uh, to, to explore the, the poetry uh, within pictures. Uh, it's a very supportive setting. Um, and it, it started off because there was an exhibition, um, which the name escapes me, but um, it was a really great sort of springboard to then start poetry from. So without further ado, if everyone's got a program in front of them, you've, you've got your order. So just come up and, and um, perform your poem and tell us about it. So thank you. I think the first one up is Jenny Ridout. Thanks, Jenny. This poem was written after the Recital and Art Exhibition at St Peter's Church in November 2018 for Herefordshire Mines 40th Anniversary Celebrations. Today for the first time. Today I rode my bicycle for the first time since my son was conceived. I entered a new location, a familiar church, but not my own. Mine's beautiful creative work festooned the walls and tables. I finally held in my hands a wonderful papier-mâché fish that normally adorns the shelf at Heffernan House. Along with friends and family, shivering in the November air, St Peter listened attentively to our poetry recital. 
Happy 40th birthday. Your work has helped me so. My mind is in a better place since working with you. Cutters. <clears throat> I am blue, sing me, feel my pain. Still the strange fruit of Billy's trees hang in the rain. I am orange, living at the edge, speed exploited, adrenaline, the fullness of life excited before I gave in. I am beige, am I boring you? Just one more thing to live through, en route to age. Feel my rage. I am grey. You don't believe me yet. You will, don't fear. The orange speed, the red desire will chill. Your yellow flame of youth will bring you here. It's the portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ by Georgiana Horton. 1814 to 1884. Um, I knew nothing of the picture before, or of the artist, uh, Georgiana Horton, and I, until I picked up the picture, and Sarah Jane later showed me the little newspaper cutting about the artist being a medium, um, and she claimed her paintings were drawn by spirits. Um, this picture certainly made me think. I am normally very cautious where mediumship is concerned, as there are a many frauds out there, I believe. Uh, but the fact that this picture depicts Jesus Christ with red hair, when most people think of him and paint him with dark hair, makes me take notice. Um, then maybe that there's other pictures out there that portray uh, Jesus with red hair. Um, and I have recently found out about a stained glass window that do show Jesus with red hair. So um, anyway, this is the poem, which I've entitled Red. In the beginning, I was a soft, gentle white, a subtle light glowing faintly in the darkness. My fabric unclothed, void, waiting for the colours to perceive me. Tentative hues of yellow hovered in the mist. Fibrous veins of orange began to weave amongst the cloth, threading encircling, entwining, bringing warmth and movement to my intricate tapestry, building a pulsating labyrinth of colour, passionate red bleeding into earthy brown, glorious golds and shimmering silver extending like ethereal cobwebs, creating a picture, an angelic face crowned in auburn as boldly the spirits speak their truth, that I, the Son of God, was adorned with red hair. Thus, I was created to light up the darkness, from the nothingness to everything. I am the one in all. Uh, 
Um, this poem is called Apple and Hockney and it's set in Glenbore Manor and it's about someone meeting the artist and painter David Hockney and he's actually using an iPad to make his art and he's basically drawing on his iPad a um, scene of the windowsill, vase and lamp of this grand Glenbore Manor which is a real place. Okay. Apple and Hockney I am sat in the drawing room of Glynbore Manor with David Hockney. He's over there, nearer the window, sat on an armchair. He has stolen my iPad. Timidly, I hover over to him, standing in amazement. He's using his iPad to make art. It's bold and vivid. Look at that green, he says. I am perplexed. Is it the walls of the manor? or the garden outside. His stylo points at the wall. I see he has mixed hashtag H4914 and hashtag H4918. Swipes of vert, dots of primrose upon the windowsill. The wall is squiggled with vardo and stone blue. Hockney now sounds like an interior designer. He spouts colors in fancy names. It's all beyond me. Little iPad tools used adeptly with his artistry. Garden trees in lichen tones. The lamp, Van Dyke brown base with raw umber on top of almond green. Next to the lampstand, the phthalo blue is blended in. I am utterly lost in words, unable to identify which blue he means. The vase remains unfinished blobs of the vermilion. He sighs, then smiles. Apple and Hockney make a charming pair. This is a poem about a tattoo, and it was done on my son in New Zealand. It's a Maori type, and all the pieces have meanings. The man called Elton drew them out and listed them, all about family, adventure, protection, which was linked to family and a police career, and also safe travelling overseas. It's called Aotearoa. A skin so smooth and unblemished at birth, I held his tiny fingers in mine, muddy knees as a small child, and then the body hair and changing shape of a young man. In the blink of an eye, adulthood, career, commitment and family life. Holiday of a lifetime would change the unblemished skin. Swirls and movement became letters and shapes. Let us talk about what is important, said the Maori. And in the heat of a March New Zealand afternoon, an arm was transformed. One man's thoughts and beliefs made permanent. A wife and son break into his skin.
This poem was inspired by a walk to the poetry group at Hereford Mind and hastily written down in my notebook on the way home as it came into my mind. I'm wearing bracelets today in the po that, that are depicted in the poem. Can you guess which one? Bracelets. Today in a shop window was a bangle of 18 karat gold. I knew it would be expensive, but I still asked for a little hold. I touched its delicate piercing of Victorian design. I'd have to part with over £3,000 for you to be mine. Unlike the bracelet on my wrist of hearts and coloured plastic, so carefully strung by Owen, it really is fantastic. It's made with love and made with care. It's something I am proud to wear. There's a warmth in my heart, a need unfulfilled. I search for my hook and my yarn. My head is spinning, I need to relax, a craft to help me unwind. Soft music playing, an old comfy chair, calmness begins to appear. I gaze at the wall, choose the colours with care. Almost an hour passed by. The room may be full, yet there's no one around. I'm transported to somewhere beyond. This is my time. No worries or fears. It's here my resilience is found. I make twiddle knots for people with dementia. And this is a very short poem about them. <clears throat> Touch me. Let me keep you calm, feel the threads you cannot harm, and when your agitations start to grow, hold me close and just let go. In a workshop about wallpaper, <coughs> There were so many examples that I thought of the times I'd try to do some decorating to scrape off wallpaper from a wall and behind one was another and another and another. You probably had the same experience. Fragments. Clinging tenaciously to lath and plaster, torn at the edges but unmarked by time, a rosebud still freshly blooming, chosen by a bride for her boudoir wall. Uncovered by builders, a border ascending the old oak stairs, bold lines of stately green and gold, a mine owner displaying his wealth. Lining the drawer of a corner cupboard, neatly folded by a widow woman, when war made everything scarce, the torn remains of a willow bough. Layer 10, the purple and orange clash. This was my bedroom wall, when we longed for justice and peace, and we marched against war. Layer upon layer of hope. 
Um, so this poem also follows the theme of wallpaper and it's set in a fancy Kensington apartment in London and just imagine kind of like the 60s um, and there's a special guest that comes into this apartment and you might be able to guess who. Okay, so the poem is called Purple Haze. Bean bags from the tour bus crouched down, stoned. Girls left the Kensington apartment, friends not back until 4am. I watch him. He mumbles about a purple haze, pointing to the wall. I correct him, the wall is cream. He says Clapton, then lies back on the beanbag, legs tossed in the air. Reaching for his guitar, he whispers over and over again, purple haze, purple haze. Fingers swirl and strum in the air. As if orchestrated, by a hidden composer in the wall. The man sees purple, peacocks, magenta tones of iridescence, his eyes fixated on the wall. Finally, he collapses. The next morning, Purple Haze is written on the wall, the entire song lyrics. I write back, expect no further invitation to return, Mr. Hendricks. Um, imagine walking into someone's home and there was no art of any description on any of the walls. You would think that's unusual. We all have art in our homes and this poem is inspired by a, a session in Hereford about cave art. So I thought well, there must have been a time when families lived in those caves, but there was already art on the wall. We go back and we think, oh, all that time ago, people were making art on cave walls. But there must have been a time when families lived with that art. So that's what this poem is about, and it's called Shadows. Shadows descend from the roof of the cave. Firelight ascends the rock face, shifting and rippling our living walls. Look, see how our ancestors' hands breathe in the flames. Our great-grandfather lives on, lives still in the walls of our home. We watch his curious bison watching us as today's flames caress our faces. One day, other faces will explore our home, will admire our artwork, will study their own hands after gazing at ours. Today, you cast only a single shadow. Today, there is only one hand to hold. Give me your hand. try this one too. <laughs> um, in the same workshop, my eye was caught by uh, uh, an image of multiple hand silhouettes. Um, these were originally thought to be male, but research has shown that they are in fact women's hands. Uh, the silhouettes were created by blowing the red um, earth dust against the wall. 
heritage. You blew the hematite, placing your handprint beside your daughter's, fingers splayed, touching. Beauty in a shared legacy, a moment of connection. I place my hand on yours. Touch the cold rock face, smooth clay, sharp fissures, just as you felt them. Thousands of years dissolve, a moment of connection. This one as well. <laughs> well thanks very much, Poetry and Pictures. That's really lovely to hear from you. And I am delighted to tell you, I think you know this, but these um, sessions will be able to continue uh, in the autumn. So that's really great news. We have got funding for that. That's fantastic. Um, the next group is um, Women for Women. And unfortunately, we have, after many years, had to discontinue these uh, workshops. So this will be um, a sort of swan song of, of these workshops. But... Hopefully you do know that there you are, of course, able to go to the sessions at MIND and also the segment sessions that will be continuing here in Ledbury. There's only so far that our funding stretches, I'm afraid. So, um, can I ask that um, Rianne, Sue and Jill and Pamela can come up all together, is that okay? And then you can read your poems in succession. That would be great, so up you come. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm not actually Sue Hill. Um, <laughs> Sue uh, can't be with us this morning. She has an ear, nose and throat infection, which she told me this morning. So right now, she is in the doctors over there, um, hopefully getting better. Um, the reason I'm speaking now is because there's a slight change to your programme in that I will be reading Sue Hill's poem, Worm, first, before Rianne Edwards reads The Spider. And I'd just like to do that because I'd just like to add my own personal thanks to the people that have just read for Pictures and Poetry. Uh, I run those workshops, Pictures and Poetry, and Women for Women, which sadly won't be happening with Lebri Poetry Festival anymore, and segments. So um, thank you very much, everybody from Pictures and Poetry that came to do those poems. So this is the poem, Worm, um, and this is the first poem you'll hear in Women for Women's uh, little section. Um, and just by way of a short introduction, we were looking at this book, The Beast's Choir, which was written by Carmen Bernos de Gastol, who was a French nun and poet, and her poems we read in translation by Ruma Goddard, uh, Ruma, sorry, Ruma Godden. And um, she wrote in praise of the natural world, and so we decided to follow her examples of her poetry and write in her way praise of the natural world. So the first poem that you'll hear now is written by Sue Hill and read by me. Worm. An apple from the tree of life, appreciated even by unbelievers, past whose lips the fruits of heaven are never allowed. Even when fallen, dropped to the ground, ground underfoot, a rotting thing. An apple from the tree of life gives sustenance, blessing me, a worm, with its sacrifice, enriching earth as the earth enriches me, a poor wretch. 
A child lays its small hand close by this grey, sightless, soundless creature, sorely scuffing my way over drought-stricken shingle towards moss and grass. The child lays its hand for me, a worm, and squirms a little as I respond to this gentle touch, wriggling the length of my long, dry body between fingers and thumb, feeling not blind panic, but sweet, warm breath, as the child, without squishing or slashing, places me, places me, who was once wretched among the softest moss, the greenest grass. I am standing up. <laughs> so, uh, thank you. The poem The Spider by Rian Morris. <clears throat> Lord, why? Why have you created me? Such a loathsome satanic sight, seeking shelter from furnaces within, from frozen fangs without. A swingometer soaring, oft sliding stained surfaces swiftly to avoid the greyed reds of musty, dusty treads. Hated by housewives, humming and hosing of their canned killers. Chewed up in children's hands, clawed by cat's paws and trapped by doors. Lord, why? Even though I have tried, delivered them all, freedom from flies despised, I've kept their homes dried. Lord, you have created me to work gently across your walls, to and from all corners of the earth since my birth. Uncomely my countenance created, Lord, all-seeing, forgive my frailty, focus on my strength, my talent for tapestry. A captive of the cobwebs am I, until murdered, a moving hand having writ, I die. Transfigured. <clears throat> Arrogant, flowing leonine, her crowning glory, it would always be there, her one mark of beauty which set her head and shoulders above the rest. Suddenly, strand on strand, on sizzling, scorching scalp, straining at the roots, scorned, shattered, scattered, Gone. Terror. Tears where glory had once stared back at her. Finally, facing the unfaceable, reflecting on her reflection, unhappy and uncertain, but 
curiously understanding. She would learn from this experience. A sign of experience in certain individuals, significantly distinguished, a mark of the respect of others, an acquisition of age, perhaps of adversity. Suffering her distinguishing mark, she would learn to respect. A lesson in vanity, perhaps, in pride, in humility. There had been a certain vanity. She had been proud of her hair. Barren, where abundance and wealth had once stood. A crown of thorns or a crown of glory. Where there had been pride, there was now humility. Grey. It grew back grey. Chemo sapped her strength, stole colour from her life and hair. She wept a winter for her loss. It grew back grey, soft beneath a hand's caress, sleek silver under April sun, spring and love restored her. <clears throat> Housework isn't my favourite activity. <laughs> Writing about it, however, is a different matter. <laughs> and I'd like to dedicate this poem to the memory of my mother, Elsie. A different generation. They could afford a new one, but when the twin tub died... She'd heave skirts, slacks and sheets around the bath, pound, pummel them in swirling suds, wring them with arthritic wrists. They could afford a new one, but when her hoover croaked its last, she'd clean carpets on her hands and knees, then, creaking, straighten up and shrug, no sense in spending for the sake. It's how we always did it. Yesterday, my dishwasher, flashing frenzied lights, trembled like a tambourine, belched out its cruddy contents, rocked drunkenly from side to side, then sighed its way to silence. I can't afford another one. But I'll have one anyway, smiling to think if she was here, she'd look askance at easy terms. She'd shake her head, she'd sniff and scold. But living's not for labour. <laughs> Damsel flies. Not far from home, one summer's day, 
on a walk from Mordiford Bridge. High-rise corn, no farmer near, wild dancing damselflies. We stopped in awe, quiet, clutching, listening to their sound. In wild abandon, hundreds singing, unforgotten moment in time. This memory must stay with me. I will not see the magic again. The fields are damned with poison. Blue angels gone, but never forgotten. Thank you very much. Those were representatives of Women for Women. Thank you. Thank you. And on to our final segment, which is from Segments. Segments is a really special um, uh, uh, workshop. I said I'm not getting my words out very well. I'm sorry. <laughs> it has been a busy weekend. Um, it is a really, really great uh, workshop. It started off, it, it uses artifacts as starting points for poetry. And we, we have trialled moving this um, workshop from its Hereford base to Ledbury, and I'm delighted to say that it, it's working really well. Um, so great thanks go to Butcher Row Museum, who donate their time, their curatorial time, and their beautiful artefacts, which are then used as uh, springboards for um, poetry. And you can see the types of things that have come into the workshops from the titles of... The, the, the sections that we've got here. So could we have up on stage, please, Chris, Maggie, Josie, Jill, Maggie, and Chris <laughs> again, please. Thank you. first set about the glove donkey that the Lebry Museum showed us to give us inspiration. This was a wooden frame which enabled working women to make gloves. It was very much part of Lebry history. Each night I sit at the donkey, stitched till my eyes burn and close. No sleep till I finish my quota. The work is minute and relentless, no room to make a mistake. Each glove sewn must be perfect. My mother sits down beside me. She also works right through the night. She chats to prevent me from sleeping. We have a tariff to make before morning. The next night we must do the same. Working the donkey is endless. Each finger stitched must be accurate. The gloves made sold to fine folk. The money we make means we eat. glove maker's hands. These hands that gripped the cowskin, torn from flesh that fed the thin. These hands, creating hands, pulled taut and stitches fine that ladies bought. These hands stretched to breaking, creating rare pieces while body is aching. These hands ache for holding. 
love's tenderness enfolding. These hands, not gloved or covered, not protected as are others, can these hands then dream of softness, caring, not the drudge of hardness? My hands, these hands, reach out to feel. Can the light of hope be real? That hand in glove with my love, entwined, combined, fingers gripping, no more slipping, we can be secure. Uh, I'm going to read the poem Gloves, written by Josie Brady, just by way of a short introduction to this poem. Um, in segments, we, it's, we look at artefacts from the Butcher Row House Museum. Um, we either write about the artefact or that it triggers memories that we wish to write about, our own personal memories. Um, Josie, had, her father, had just passed away this year, and so she wrote this poem Gloves with him in mind. Gloves by Josie Brady. The gloves and caps were the easy ones to keep. Something to hold on to, it seemed. But you're gone, and my hands and head don't fit. I visit you in my mind, but it's your eyes, not hands or head, which speak. Blue, large, cow-like and kind. My eyes, but wiser. Your gloves nest in my coat pockets. I stroke them daily, but I never wear them. They are thick, warm, manly. I will make up a story for myself now, that each caress I make will be sent to my father, and that's all it will take for his hand to be in mine again. The Ledbury Lute, I'm just going to give you a little bit of information about it before I read my poem. It was discovered about five years ago in the Butcher Row House Museum and sent to London for restoration. It's labelled as being made in London by a Joseph Bookinger, who was an instrument maker between 1785 and 1811, and it's thought that the Ledbury Lute was made about 1800. It's a hybrid between a French sitan, which has 12 to 16 strings, and an English lute, which has 10. And it's the only one of its kind in the world. The Ledbury lute discovered. Found languishing amid the dusts of time, a wooden teardrop dressed with leaf of gold. My graceful neck from maple has been crafted, crowned by an inlaid piece of luminescent pearl. Ten wire strings run down my length, three raised and separate, giving deeper sounds. Fine frets of ivory span my curving neckline, and painted roses decorate my belly. Believing I'd been lost forever, now rescued from my dim, dark cell, placed in gentle hands for caring restoration. My former glory shines out once again.
We heard a recording of the instrument actually being played in 2016 in Lebury. This music um, inspired me to write about the uh, person that played in the past. Her name was Mrs. Robert Gwillem. I'm not sure what her name was. She's only down as Mrs. Robert <laughs> Gwillem. However, that's the name of my poem. Mrs. Robert Gwillem, the lute player of renown, hears all and sees all at the royal court. As she plays oh so beautifully, couples dance, seemingly sedately, but no, positively seductively. Whispered trysts and declarations of love and declarations of intent are passed as their lithe bodies, bodies passed almost touching, teasing and promising. Mrs. Robert Willem smiles as she is reminded of pre-fame in the village hall, where the lute and the lute player hear and see all. Brazen Blodbin, with lips too red, shy die needs to get her to bed. Wistful Rhonda sits out and waits, hoping Brian will speak soon about dates. Mrs. Robert Willem takes particular note that the village hall venue and the royal court are one and the same place. The Lebury Lute. I listened to the Lebury Lute, a beautiful instrument crafted in wood, adorned with gold leaf and covered in symbolic flowers painted with love. I listened to music played by the lute, conjured up images of years past and gone, of genteel ladies, handsome young men, children frolicking, people eyes closed, nodding. I listened to a musician playing the lute, the strings plucked, caressed, soulful, then playful, sounds echoing and filling the room, hovering, diving, then fondling my ears. I imagined the person playing the lute, a tall, handsome boy with curly black hair, wearing tunic, breeches and boots all in green, playing songs to his lover who swoons at his feet. I listened again to the Ledbury lute, the music still haunting, heavy and light, no handsome young man as I saw in my mind, but a lady unsmiling, standing stiff and upright. Uh, the next section is entitled The Treadle Fret Saw. Um, this was uh, a piece of equipment um, where it's operated by the foot, which moves a blade, um, and you can carve wood on it. And it was owned by a chap called Brian Hawcutt. So I'm going to read the next two poems. Uh, so Helen French's one, Scroll Saw, and then Sue Hill in memory of Brian Hawcutt. Scroll Saw by Helen French. Intricate metal teeth fret at wood to cut fine shapes for coffin furniture. Powered by steady feet, walking the geared treadle through its working life. And now we have In Memory of Brian Hawcutt and His Fret Saw by Sue Hill. Old Brian walked the shoreline, took the driftwood from who knows where worked smooth by the sea, and ran his fingers along its length, felt its strength. Old Brian took the driftwood home, 
measured its features, pondered its dark and light as it lay in wait under the lamp. Old Brian, cabinet and coffin maker, set his foot to the treadle and from his own hands tasted joy. Old Brian set wheels spinning, saw humming, and the driftwood took on another shape. Such is life. Old Brian, from his own human toil, gained a steady spirit, level. Perhaps this as it was, perhaps this was as it was, perhaps not. But I will think it so. Thank you very much, everybody. The item we used for this next section was a sugar loaf, which is a piece of sugar, about this sort of size, in a cone. And it was about 150 years old. So we none of us decided we wanted to have a taste, but uh, we were inspired. Now, I lived in Mauritius for two and a half years when I was young. And Mauritius is well known for growing sugar, and it still covers 85 to 90% of the arable land there. So this is my memories of sugar. Sweet harvest. Every Sunday, we took our Anglia past tall fields of grass, men sweeping with knives to bring the giants down. They laid side by side, cast down in their prime, dragged to lorries and firmly tied tight. One Sunday, we stopped. No harvest today, just great leaves like dried hay. But here on the margin, of activity, devastation, were cylinders of wood. Dad said, try it, it's good. At 10, I was still learning about the world and the mystery of nature and parents. So at his instigation and with some hesitation, I put wood to mouth. Oh, the sweet fascination, successful investigation, as I chewed and the juices dripped down. We collected a few and continued our trip to our beach with a view for our Sunday lunch, followed by wood. Fifth, not quite. <laughs> Nearly there. Fifty years later, with sibling in tow, I saw fields anew and the tall grass that grew and was felled. A trip round a farm, viewing iron and brass that pressed and squeezed in the past, completed the picture, the process, procedure. But the best of the day was the thoughts it evoked when sucking the wood of Dad saying, try it, it's good. Well, Maggie has described what the sugarloaf was that started our poetry, and I'm going to give a few facts behind the sugarloaf. Molasses was transported from the Caribbean to be refined into sugar in the UK. Sugar was highly prized and afforded only by the wealthy. It was a status symbol. Slave labour was used on the sugar plantations. 
Slaves had been sold and bartered for other goods in Africa and shipped out to the Caribbean. Many died in transit. The unsweetness of sugar. The glimmer of candles on the table catches the sparkles of my crystalline form. Covetous envy in the eyes of the guests. What are they thinking? Do they know the truth of my becoming? The journey travelled? The poorly paid, poorly treated poor? The workers in the cane fields in the Caribbean? Hot, sweating, beaten, their lives not their own. Traded for goods from distant lands. Bought and sold, bought and sold. Transported in ships to a better life which many did not live to see. A display of wealth paid for with the cheapness of life. How sweet the sugar, how bittersweet its story. Who should we blame? We know the world is full of ills, Seduction, the compunction of nice stuff, the taste, the feel, the whole meal of having things. We never have enough. The trading world, deal makers, profit takers know all this, of course. Salt was the first big sell, its price denoting your space at that long bench. Did status at the table govern length of life? Spice, sugar and tobacco all kept sailing ships at sea. The tea race making fortunes which gambled many sailors' lives to tempt the palates of the rich. The sugar loaf, the cone of affluence, a sign that we had reached position. The social climb obsessing a society that needed sugar in their tea. Bed and breakfast. In my former life as an engineer, I travelled the world and I very often woke up in a strange room thinking, this is a hotel, but what country am I in? So, bed is one thing. We've all been there. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes not. The night takes care of the night. Breakfast is another can of worms if you're a blackbird. Or eggs over easy, pancakes and links, cheese with chocolate sprinkles, a bowl of black coffee and rock hard bread, a glass of calva or a small rough red, a caporal and a cough, or noodles with something you hope is dead. <laughs> this is how countries declare themselves in the truce before the day, before hostilities break out. <laughs> So, it's the English Civil War. The Battle of Ledbury has just begun. And if you were a family living in Ledbury at that time, you had some massive decisions to make. This is called Just. Just beyond the walls of home, the clack and clang and clunk 
of metal striking metal. Sitting on the edge of a four-poster bed from a first-floor window, he peers. His wife lies beside him, shedding unrelenting tears. Must you? I must. But you're crying too. You are not ready to kill. I cry, my wife, because I am ready. Today I shall climb the hill. Younger men than I in their own sweet blood shall lie. He stands, turns to her, wet-faced. What shall I do without you? How shall we live, your three daughters and I? I shall return. You have my word. This promise I give. Each stair creaks his departing descent her sobbing beating between his steady steps. The front door closes. From beneath the timber-framed four-poster, their youngest daughter creeps. Has Daddy gone? Yes, just. In preparation for this poem, we also looked at some artefacts which included the helmet with the lobster tail on the back, a rapier and a cannonball, and discussed some of the more romantic poems that were produced at the time. I will not sing the cavalier's song, nor have to claw the lobster helmet from my head. I will not rue the need to leave my loved one weeping in her bed or glorify the way I might be gored. I will, though, rant at those power brokers waving swords, firing strong words from their cannon, who sway the masses to a cause that leads always to extremes. Discuss the middle road. No goad or taunt. Don't flaunt your Oxford accent. Wave your city wealth. Charles and Oliver could both have been at Trinity that year, but social stealth, spilt blood, fired muskets, neighbours against friends. Cold, steel, iron, loss. Gain no cheers from followers. A life judged, history, dusty books, artefacts. The young never understand when heads roll. Blood stains all. Our hands too need cleansing. Thanks very much to the segments readers. Thank you. So we're just going to draw this event to a close. And um, before I do, uh, it is a community showcase after all. So there are a few uh, community elements that are part of the community program that aren't here today. And I'll just mention those so that you know what comes under the community umbrella uh, in the festival. So if you look around the shops in Ledbury, you will see some poetry um, displays in their windows that comes under our community program. So do have a look. And Jeanette has created some beautiful screen print screen print banners that are in those windows because shopkeepers are poets too. 
Um, there's the Mapper Ledbury. Um, the Mapper Ledbury um, project, which uh, Jeanette said something about, that's, uh, there's an exhibition in the panelled room at the Master's House, so please go and have a look at it. My personal favourite is the Zodiac, because, of course, the sky needs mapping as well. So uh, that's on the theme of mapping your home, your place, your location, with Ledbury at the centre. Also, if you go into the Burgage Hall, you will see bunting, uh, festooned with bunting and other artwork. That all comes from our uh, community programme. What else? The poetry salons. Throughout the year, we have poetry salons, which are really great discussions with poets. And all of you here are always very welcome to come to the open mic afterwards and, and read any poetry that you've been creating. That's part of the community programme. And great thanks to Lindsay at Ledbury Books and Maps. She allows us to have them there. What else have I got? Oh, sometimes we do a slam at the courtyard. And of course, everyone who participates in the community programme or anyone who participates in poetry is able to come to those. We have the Troubadour of the Hills project with Malvern Hills area of outstanding natural beauty. Um, reading groups, there's the Poetry Trail at Queenswood. That actually took over 10 years to get into place. There's an audio trail, you wind it up, and there's poems that come out. So do, if you can, go and visit the Queenswood Poetry Trail. That's part of our community programme. And finally, um, do, if you are able, come on Wednesday to the Get ready for unleashed young voices if you're very clever and you put those letters together um, it spells groovy <laughs> terrible I know that's the kind of thing you have to come up with in your doing um, funding projects is a catchy name <laughs> obviously didn't work in this case but um, that's our work with the sh young people from ship and close house and also, for the very first time, we've got a young poet in residence at Hereford Cathedral. And she's a very, very special young poet. And that has come out of our community programme. She's currently being mentored. And we, um, sh it'll be really delightful to see those very, very special young people perform. So do come to that. It's free and it's on Wednesday. So... Um, all I can say, again, is a huge thank you to you all for coming and for reading. Give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs>